I was able to put the proper systems and processes to look at what do I need to do one step at a time to transition my business towards something that's completely new, something that was unknown to me. Even when you do have the right why, things get still very difficult. But because you have the right why, you persist through that difficulty and you continue and then you succeed. The second I started, which this was in 2017, my income tripled. I grew my business. I started meditating. I started reading books. You know, we're talking about dyslexia. Now I read a book a week. I read 52 books a year. All this is because I started opening myself to this world. It is normal that nobody else understands it but you. So take it, develop it. Once it's polished and beautiful, everybody's going to understand. You're like, oh, wow. Yeah, look at that. That makes sense. Always learn something new. I have to always grow and I always have to give back. If I'm doing those two things, I'm truly happy. And then the abundance of finance comes your way because you're bringing massive value to your community and the audience. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. I'm really excited that you're here with me today. And uh, if you're new to the show, I just want to share a couple of words of why I do this. Uh, For me, I grew up as a bullet kid, but through martial arts, I learned to believe in myself. I learned to you know, have discipline and do the hard work. And if you do that consistently for a long time, results always seem to show up in a way. And we're here now with the show. Uh, I know that there are people out there that wants to take their life to the next level, but they really don't know exactly where to start. And that's why I bring in just incredible people that share their journey. And hopefully you'll connect with, with something in their message that can help you take you to the next level. If you're if you're crushing it right now, if everything is well, I, I'm sure you're going to find something that is going to help you take it to the next level. If you're struggling, if you're in pain, just know that we love you and, and we're here to support you here. And with this show, if you want to connect with me directly, just look me up. I'm here to answer all your questions. I have a big fat mission to help at least 10 million people in 10 years to go after their dreams. But really, it's about you right now. It's about you. Uh, it's about taking notes. It's about taking those small actions to become better. And to do that, I have a new friend. We only met for a couple of minutes, but I, I feel like uh, we're going to have some fun. And he's, he seems like a warm, disciplined, cool guy. His name is Christopher Dedean. He's a professional speaker. He's a peak performance expert. He helps entrepreneurs, leaders, employees, you know, to manage stress, to increase productivity, have more energy. And he does that in his own unique, humoristic, charming, passionate way. Uh, so I'm excited and um, no pressure, but welcome Christopher Dedean to the I Love Success podcast. Peter, my brother, first and foremost, thank you very much for that intro. And let me just start off by celebrating you. Thank you for acknowledging what your mission is, what your vision is, as the more people go out there and see what their mission vision is, more people will come and help you towards that. So the fact that you're aiming to help 10 million people in the next 10 years, that is beautiful. And I wanted to highlight it as well, brother. I've heard that story so many times, people that have unfortunately getting bullied and then they're like, you know what? I'm gonna take it into my own hands. I'm gonna go learn how to self-defend with mixed martial arts and kind of go over that. And I'm sure yeah. if you're a mixed martial artist fan, uh, George St. Pierre, GSP, which was the champion of the USP for so long. And I'm mentioning, obviously I'm from Montreal, so I have to 100% mention my personal Love GSP. The GSP. <laughs> 
He actually yeah. went to mixed martial arts for exactly that uh, that reason. So actually, I, I want to start off by asking you a question. I know it's your podcast, but yeah. I want to ask no, you a question. That's it. When you started doing that, going into mixed martial arts as a young kid, did you really see that things started changing because of your attitude, because of your confidence, or you were able to defend yourself physically in those situations? What would you speak to that? I mean, my father was my karate coach. So I've done karate all my life, but I never really wanted to train. And, and in school, I was, you know, chubby. Uh, people didn't want to, you know, kind of play with me, but they didn't really fight me either. But the problem was that I didn't have any friends. And mm -hmm. you, I think the human need to be loved or be acknowledged is so big. So, And that really hurts when you're picked last and when people say you're fat and when you see yourself as being fat. So martial arts gave me it's an even playing field there you know especially you you take off like your nice fancy clothes and you're just there in your karate gi or just like workout clothes and you can be yourself in a way and if you work hard you get those small wins which eventually led to confidence but i would say that that was a long journey but it was kind of my safe haven in there i could train you know i felt good about myself for at least for a couple of hours before i went out to this you know, cruel world. <laughs> I love that. <clears throat> Sorry. I love that, Peter. Thank you for sharing that, really. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. And yeah, we'll we'll continue. Maybe I'll be on your show one day and we'll 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 dig a little bit deeper. <laughs> yes, 100 percent But you're the main character in, in today's uh, story. So let's let's go back to Christopher as a kid, you know, growing up in Montreal. I know we spoke about this before your parents from Armenia, you were born in Montreal, probably pretty similar like me. I'm, my parents are Macedonian, but I was born and raised in Sweden. I think Sweden and Canada are pretty similar countries, at least mm -hmm. people say. Yeah. So how was your life growing up as a, as a, as a kid and as a kid to Armenian parents in, in Montreal? Yeah, so I love that. Honestly, right off the bat, I, I just have to mention, I have been blessed and I am blessed to have amazing parents, to have an amazing upbringing, to have amazing, you know, opportunities that we have in these North American uh, countries, even like Sweden, like I had kind of mentioned, I spent some time in Denmark, like a phenomenal country. So we're blessed right off the bat. So I was a happy-go-lucky kid, very young. I had, I have, and still had, uh, high levels of energy. So I was very hyperactive. And then from a very young age, uh, I got diagnosed with dyslexia. So that's kind of like the, the big turning point in my life at a very young age. And then from there, kind of tried to figure out how to deal with that. So you had your things with certain bullies with the weight and all that. And I had my insecurities with learning disabilities. And for people who don't know what dyslexia is, it's a learning disability it has to do with reading and writing. So for me, it was very difficult to read and write. And when you're in school, it's the first barrier to entry of like intelligence in itself, right? When you're in school, the first thing they teach you is the letters. And then from the letters, they teach you how to make words and start reading it. And that's how they qualify or classify if you're good enough to go to the next grade. So it was the first barrier of intelligence that I was presented to. And unfortunately, I was failing quite significantly at it because of my dyslexia. So that's what happened when I grew up. God bless. My parents found a proper school for me that was a cultivator for students with learning disabilities that gave me the proper rituals, the methodologies, the proper teachers, the proper tools to learn how to deal with my dyslexia and thrive with it, which it happened throughout 
the whole year that I went to the elementary and high school with the school that I went to, which is called Vanguard. And the immigrant side of things that you mentioned, yes, both my parents are Armenian. I'm 100% Armenian as well, born and raised in Canada. I love the dynamic of, like I mentioned, being born in countries that you have so much opportunities, but at the same time, coming from parents that have gone through difficulties, war, uh, like uh, have gone through social, like everything, they teach us these things. They tell us these things. So the just a position towards what we're living as Canadians are so much more present because every single time we're living something and we're blessed with having food, having opportunities, our parents are always mentioning to us that back home, we didn't have this. So be grateful for it. So that's the just a position that I would present when it comes to being from an immigrant family and living in this great country. I love that. And I think, I think it's a superpower. And I want to touch on both the dyslexia mm-hmm. and the immigrant thing. I'm curious just mm-hmm. though, I don't know how Canada is in Sweden. I, my parents always taught me like, you have to work harder than original Swedish people in order to get to that next level. Did yeah. you experience that in Canada as well? Or how, is it similar to Sweden in that sense? There's no open open discrimination, I would say in Sweden, but you still have to work a little bit harder, I would say, uh, to, to get to those good positions, you know, is, is it the same way that in uh, Canada? That's a, such an interesting conversation. I love the fact that you're mentioning this, uh, definitely conversation that was presented several times throughout my whole life with my parents, with my family, with our culture and so on that, you know, people that are local would maybe have more chances of getting certain opportunities, jobs, and so on and so forth. Now talking to it in 2021, I don't think that that is the case. And I'm talking and being a white Caucasian man. So I'm not talking to all of society because I still know there's a lot of repression. Granted, when people look at me, they know that I'm from the Caucasus areas, I'm Middle Eastern. It's obvious in my face in my in my methodologies like it's obvious that I am but I've never had any issues with that but that mindset of just working harder had been cultivated at a very young age like I said through my parents and through me the second that I found out that I was dyslexic I knew that I have to work two to three times harder than anybody that's called it that doesn't have learning disabilities that's normal in itself and I don't like that use that word normality but I just wanted to clarify than anybody else if I wanted to succeed. So that work ethic was very developed. Uh, But nowadays, I don't think it's something that's necessarily too much in the forefront. If anything, maybe the it has shifted completely towards the other side that now there are certain people that have more of an advantage to get a certain job due to your ethnicity, due to your sex, due to your X, Y, and Z, because some companies are hiring through ratios. Uh, so there is, it's, it's, you know, there's two sides of the coin with all of that, but definitely something to be aware of. And definitely a conversation that my parents did have with me when I was very young. Awesome. And I mean, at the end of the day, you can't deny greatness in a way. And that's why I love sports uh, in a way, because I, through martial arts, you like, you could, you can always show up and, uh, but of course we want, we want everybody to have opportunities and not everybody can be a karate champion or whatever. But uh, speaking about dyslexia, uh, how, do you remember how that felt when, when yes. you got, when people said like, oh, you're dyslexic, did you even understand what that meant at that time? And like, now you're going to another school, you have to leave your friends. Like how was, how did that feel as, how, and how, how old were you at that time? So Peter, honestly, great question. 
because just like anything, it's a process. And in the beginning, like you just mentioned, when I got diagnosed at eight years old, my parents come and told me in the middle of the school year that I'm changing schools. All I understood as an eight-year-old kid is that I'm, I'm losing my friends and I'm going to a, a new school, which is a specialized school. I didn't want that. I didn't understand what dyslexia was. I was afraid of it. I was eight years old. Then when I got yeah. into that school, like I said, that's Vanguard, I started realizing that there's hundreds of kids like me that have learning disabilities. So I started feeling more comfortable, started getting the proper tools, the proper teachers, the speech therapists that were high playing me out. And then I started gaining more confidence with my learning disability. And then at the end of the high school, like everybody, we look at what's next. What do we want to do? What career do you want to go into? And Peter, one thing that came to me in my mind was I want to be a lawyer. I like wearing nice suits. I like having conversations. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to get into. As I looked into what it takes to be a lawyer, I realized that like 85% of the job is reading and writing. And granted, I'm dyslexic. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. Let me look for a job that doesn't have a lot of reading and writing. So I decided yeah. to go into fireman because that was something that interests me and it didn't play into my difficulties. Now, at that point, when I got into the professional world, I was still shy. Actually, shy is not the proper word. The actual word was I was embarrassed still with my dyslexia because I didn't want people to see it as less than. I didn't want people to see me differently because of it. So I didn't say yeah. it openly. I didn't. I tried to keep it on a hush hush until a certain point in my life when I did a shift from um, being a fireman to going into entrepreneurship and being a real estate broker. And there's a whole story towards that. Cause I realized that my yeah. true calling was entrepreneurship. And I went into uh, fireman thoroughly loved it, started working into it, but I realized that wasn't it. And I realized that the entrepreneur was my thing. Now, when I got into that, after a couple of years of having a hard time starting your business as an entrepreneur started blowing up as a real estate broker. And one of my speech therapists that used to follow me in high school called me up to ask me a question about a property. And a few minutes later, she's like, Chris, she's like, how's it going with you? And Peter, as you're seeing, I could go on rants. So I went on a rant. I'm like, I was in my early to mid twenties, making great amount of money. I was succeeding in what's like society says is success, the car, the house, the money, everything was going great. After I went on that rant, She's like, Chris, I'm the keynote speaker at this event put together by Learning Disability Institute of Quebec. I would love for you to come present your story of how you're succeeding as a dyslexic entrepreneur. Now I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. At this point in my life, in my mid-20s, I'd been becoming more comfortable with my learning disabilities. I actually went into a field that has a lot of reading and writing, and I found the proper tools and methodologies to work with it. So I had so much more confidence with my dyslexia. I was more comfortable with it. And kid you not, Peter, that same evening, she wrote me an email in a subject letter in big caps written, Chris, I don't think you should give this speech because there's still a lot of people that have a negative misconception of what learning disabilities are and you might lose some potential clients. Now, I know she was coming from a place of love. She wanted to protect me. But I said, you know what? I'm going to call you Monday to tell you why I think I should do this speech. Monday rolls wrong, give her a call, Peter. And I tell her, listen, I'm like, I have to do this speech because I'm not out there talking about dyslexia. I'm not helping the kids that are on the school benches right now. I'm not helping the next generation. And I'm not helping my future kids because it's something hereditary. I would be fake. I'm like, I'm not fake. She's like, absolutely. That's what I thought. I just wanted to come from you. I didn't want to force you into something. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to say this last thing on this part. So then I ask, I'm like, how many people are going to be at this event? She's like about 200 people. I'm like, all right, cool. Peter, the day of the event comes, Granted, let me just give you a little picture. I'd never given a speech. The day of the event comes, I open a door. I look left and right. 
there isn't 200 people. It's more like a thousand people. Now at this point, my heart is racing. I am sweating bullets. I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? Oh my God, <laughs> sitting down, speaker after speaker is going off, this doctor, that professor, this, that, and the other talking about so many things. I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm a little broker. Like what's happening? Then they call me on stage, Peter. They're like, Chris, can you please come present your story? And there's this majestic, almost magical moment that happens in my life that I truly find this is my life's calling. I have to be on stage talking about how to get over learning disabilities, how to help people, how to make people become peak performers. And that was the moment that my life shifted. From that moment on, the second I got off that stage, everything I've done is I shifted my career towards being a speaker and a full-time coach. And everybody thought I was crazy at that point, even though they saw that, oh, there's something happening here, doing a shift, leaving a successful business that took me a, like a little while to bring up, doing that shift completely was a whole thing in itself. But that was the first time that I went on a public stage and I talked about my dyslexia. So now why did I tell you this whole story? It just shows you the pattern of anytime you have a difficulty, such as you, Peter, I'm sure you could say the same thing. In the beginning, when you were bullied, you probably didn't want to talk about it. You were probably insecure about it until you went to God to mix martial arts and you got more confident and you still didn't want to talk about you were getting bullied until you get to a certain point. You're like, hey, I have to share this story. But that's the arc of what happens when you live with something that is challenging. So that's how I felt from eight years old to now being 32 and thriving with my businesses and being dyslexic. Thank you for sharing that. And I think what we forget sometimes in, um, in the school environment is that we all have different superpowers, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe the, the reading and writing was not your superpower, but you were an, a very courageous and energetic kid. Uh, and it feels like you, you felt that on stage, like I need to do this more. Uh, for people that don't, they, they might be great readers and great at other things, but I think the courage part in life it's so important, but also it, for some people, it's easy to, you know, take big risk for other people. They're more risk adverse. And, and how would you just talk, talk to courage and what, what can people do there? Like they want to take that leap, uh, but th there's something holding them back. You know, I love that question, Peter. And here's why, because I truly believe any success in life happens with your confidence and how you see it. Before anything happens, you have to have the energy, the wherewithal to be like, hey, I could actually do this or I could try to do it and not be afraid of failure at a high level. I was blessed, like you said, that I'm dyslexic and because I was dyslexic, I failed so much. So because I failed so much, I realized that failure doesn't really kill you. It just puts you a step back. You just have to continue. So I was just a relentless individual. So what I would speak to that aspect of how to develop that relentlessness and that courage is if you're somebody that's doubting something towards, you know what, I'm doubting to start a business. Maybe I need to quit a job. Maybe I need to leave a relationship. Maybe X, Y, and Z. There's all these things. Start with small challenging steps and make them bigger and bigger, which will compound over time. And then your confidence will go up with that. Now, once you do those small victories, remember them or write it down. There's something that I call, Peter, my brag journal. Okay. It kind of says in a name, it's a brag book. Everything that I have succeeded at at a high level or somebody that I truly admire gives me a compliment, I write it down in this book. Now, why is that? It's because when I'm going through a difficult moment in my life and I'm like, oh my God, I failed at this, I did this, I was horrible on stage, X, Y, and Z, I go read this book 
And I start reading all of the successes that I've went through, all of the things that the people have told me that I completely look up to. They're like, oh my God, you're one of the greatest speakers I've heard and all that stuff. It changes your mindset instantly. You're like, okay, this one failure is one thing, but look at, look at my whole life. There's many successes to go towards. So what I would speak to that is take small steps at a town and then compound every single victory, one on top of another. And then you're going to see that you're going to be so much more confident to take those bigger risks, those bigger challenges to go forward and succeed in the way that you want to succeed. I like that. And uh, when you made that decision to go from uh, real estate to uh, a coach, a speaker, like what happens after? Because we all know that uh, like everybody has been, let's, for you, it was a very specific moment for, because, yes. but for a lot of people, let's face it, it's New Year's Eve, you're, you're fucking drunk. You're like, next year, I'm going to get in the yes. best shape of my life. Or I'm going to start my business. I'm going to do yes. this. I'm going to travel. I'm going to quit my job. And then, you know, two days later, it's like, shit, now I have to actually have to do it. And it, yes. it's not as fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, how talk about that like Monday, come Monday morning or come Friday or whatever when you sit down like I'm actually doing this how's the process yes I love that once again spot on one another great question here so here's the thing everybody is able to set goals everybody the difference between people that succeed extremely well don't only set their goals or set their intention once a year and call it news resolution they set it for every single day and for every single activity What does this mean? They're able to take their goals and break it down into manageable steps and control and look at the only things that they can control that are going to give them the opportunity to hit those goals. Okay. So let's, let's break it down like this. Let me give you a concrete example. And this is a concept actually that was explained uh, by Angela Duckworth in her her book, Grit, which she explains there is top tier goals, mid tier goals, low tier goals. Now let's just take this example right now. Imagine I say next year, I want to make a million dollars in sales. Beautiful. That's your goal. New Year's resolution. Yeah, I want to make a million dollars. Cool. Can I really, Peter, I'm going to ask you a question. Can I really control making a million dollars? Like, is it 100% in my control to make a million dollars? No. There's too many variables. There might, people might say no. There's too many things, competition, so on and so forth. But that's still my goal. Okay. Imagine you're selling a product that's, let's call it, I, I don't know. A hundred thousand, all right? hundred thousand to make it super easy. So that means I have to sell it 10 times to make $1 million, right? Sorry for the math. We're not going to go into really detail, but it's really simple. Just follow me, people. So I have to sell 10 times a product to get my 1 million. Let's say I have 50% closing rate when I speak to somebody, when I do a discovery call. That means I have to get on a conversation with people that are interested to buy at least 20 people, right? Because I'm saying I have 50%. So one out of two people will potentially buy it, which will get me my million. Now, how do I get those 20 people? Let's break it down to saying, you know what? Maybe I need to prospect a thousand people throughout my year to get that. That's the ratio or 2000, whatever the case is. You bring it down to a manageable step that you could control and I control it within the day. So if I break it down the math and I'm like, you know what? All I need to do is contact 10 people per day. They're going to give me a chance to meet those 20 people then I'm going to make potentially that $1 million. That's the difference between people that succeed and people that don't. They take a top-tier goal, they break it down to a mid-tier, and then they break it down to a low-tier goal. So then all I think about is not my million dollars. It's not those 20 people. All I think about is I have to contact 10 people every single day. That I can control. Whatever happens, I can control that. 
So that's the way to break it down when it comes to goals. Because it's super easy in the beginning when it becomes motivated and all that. But if you don't have the proper structure system in place to do so, it's not going to happen. And for me, I was blessed at that point. I'd already hired my first ever coach when it came to that moment. Like we said that I was on speed, I was on stage and I decided to shift my career. My coach helped me structure that. I was able to put the proper systems and processes to look at what do I need to do one step at a time to transition my business towards something that's completely new, something that was unknown to me. So that's the way I approached it. And I suggest other people to approach it like that as well. I like it. And I mean, it's the, it's a process that really works. I wrote a book about goal settings called the goal book. And it's basically exactly the same concept because it works. And everybody, I didn't mm-hmm. make that shit up. It works. 100%. Uh, if you look at an athlete, if you look at it, like it, it does work. Uh, I think that one of the biggest challenges that I see with people that you meet that I meet, you know, that want to do things. Then they usually ask me because I'm very good at setting goals, but also actually executing on them. They're Mm -hmm. like, how do I do this? And I explain it, but for some reason, there's very few that actually do do it it consistently. And I don't think it's because they're less disciplined. I used to think like, oh, you're not disciplined. Uh, But I don't think it's that. I think there's something else. uh, And I'm curious, like, what's your opinion? Why do you think all these great people don't really get what they want. One word, why? It's their why. They do not know why they're doing what they're doing. Or the reason that they're doing the why is probably for vanity reasons. It's not something that go gets them. Let's talk about weight loss, right? Which is billion, 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 billion dollar industry. But if I ask you, Peter, and you look like you're a guy in shape, if you would actually explain to me in two steps how to lose weight, what would you say? Train more, eat less. That's it. Calories in, calories out, move every single day. That's it. We just gave you the recipe to lose weight. Everybody knows it. But then why is it a trillion dollar industry, the weight loss industry? Because people want it the fastest way possible. And they put vanity reasons why they want it. They want it because they want the abs, this, that, the other. They want to look like this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there is an intrinsic, strong why behind it. If you're working out, thinking of, you know what? I want to be in such good shape that when my daughter gets married, I'm going to walk her down the aisle. That's a strong why. That's going to help you continue, wake up at Monday morning, be like, oh, I need to work out. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it because of my kid, Sarah, or whoever, whatever her name is. That's the why. So people do not set proper metrics to their reason. Peter, in the beginning of the show, you said, what is your why? And it sounds, you said that in 10 years, you want to help 10 million people. And there's probably a very specific why behind it. That's what drives you. That's what wakes you up every single morning. There is that reason. But if people just do it to be like, hey, for vanity reasons, it's very difficult to continue anything because it's not easy. It's not easy to be consistent. It's not easy to be motivated. So you have to put the proper systems and rituals in place to succeed at that. But it only works once you have the proper why. Because here's a secret. I'm I'm afraid to be the bearer of bad news here. Even when you do have the right why, things get still very difficult. But because you have the right why, you persist through that difficulty and you continue and then you succeed. So that's why people have a hard time committing to their goals and sticking to it. It's not the dedication. It's not the discipline. It's their why and the systems and processes within their lives. I like that. And 
I'm curious about your your opinion because I I've seen this so in martial arts in world like you know my pa- father was my karate coach and he coached a lot of athletes and I helped coach some and you see people reach a certain level and mm-hmm. and then something hits them you know life hits them there's mm-hmm. uh, they fail at that moment they get an injury you know they have to move to another city for school like all these different things that can happen in a regular person's life that derails them from that, what they really wanted. And then, you know, I meet them three or four years later, like, oh, Peter, do you still train karate? You know, oh, I wish I, I wish I continued. Uh, oh yeah, you still do it? Like, yeah, it's a lifestyle for me. But how, like, I want to help those people because I've met so many of them that they, and I can see the regret. And if you're listening to this, you probably have one of those stories. I mean, I have them too, where we're like, we didn't continue because it now it's, it was a little bit more difficult because we changed the environment. Yeah. Once again, it comes down to understanding what are your values, what are your goals, and what are your ambitions? And then structuring things accordingly. Peter, you're continuing karate because you've understood that's your lifestyle and you're not doing karate to do do karate. You're doing it because there's a binary thing that's coming out of that you throw the love with in your life. Maybe it's the mindfulness practice. Maybe it's the fact that you're in shape. Maybe it's the fact because it gives you motivation and it doesn't, you know, slow you down and actually speed you up to succeed and help those 10 million people. Whatever reason it is, you've understood and you've linked that with that reason in itself. Other people, if they stop at it, is because they haven't put enough importance to that specific activity. Because if they have... It doesn't matter what the situation is. Yes, maybe they moved. Yes, maybe they got kids. Yes, this, that, and the other. But if it's important for them, they will find times to do it. It's when there is no actual link to how important it is for these people or anybody that's struggling with anything to actually continue the thing in itself. So you really have to look at what are my values? What do I want to be as a person? And does this respect it? If it does, and it's something I truly love because you have to like it as well and you have to love it as well, then you'll be able to figure out how to do it when any difficult situation, when any bump around like comes out. It's kind of like a GPS, right? You set your destination. If there's a roadblock, it's going to tell you, take left, go here, go there. And then you're going to get back on your track. It really doesn't matter what hits you in front of you. The GPS will always reroute you. But to succeed at it, you have to have your GPS set. You can't approach life with no intention. So what's the intention that you're getting out of that karate activity or any other activity that you're doing? I like it. And being a peak performance coach, what are the biggest challenges that you see that hinders people from reaching that, you know, that top goal that they want to accomplish? Great question. There's a couple of them. The main ones would be limiting beliefs. I don't care who you are within this world. Everybody has limiting beliefs. You could be uber successful, multi, multi multi-billionaire, millionaire. You could be North American, African, like girl, boy, it doesn't matter. Everybody has limiting beliefs. And these limiting beliefs have been given to you when you were young, through the way you were raised, through thought patterns that you've had, through what you're getting as information through social media, through your friends and so on and so forth. So if you have limiting beliefs and as well, ones that you've told yourself. So if you have limiting beliefs that are slowing you down from your success, that's the number one thing. Second thing would be not, and I mentioned this several times throughout this conversation, not having the proper systems and processes in your life and in your business to succeed. 
Because once again, let's correlate this to the conversation we're having with karate or working out. There are going to be a lot of days where you're not going to want to do what you're you're supposed to do. But if you wake up and you have your sneakers already there, ready to go, and you just have to put them on and go, there's a system for that. So even if you don't feel like it, it doesn't matter. You're following the system because there's certain days it's going to be easier. Certain days are going to be tougher. If you want to succeed financially and you're just like, oh, let me just figure this out without looking at my things, it's going to be a bit difficult. But if you put a system in place that every single day you're looking at, what is the income coming in? What is the income going out? Where am I financially? You know how to structure it. Same thing with your weight. If you look at your weight every single day, you know where you're going with it. So you have to have systems and processes in place to keep you in check to succeed with it. And you have to looking at what are your limiting beliefs that are potentially, most probably holding you back and holding you from your greatness and your true purpose. Can you just share one of your limiting beliefs that you had in your life and yes. what you did to overcome that? Yes. This is one that I, I still work with every single day. And like I'm, I'm blessed to have hundreds of hundreds of hours of coaching experience behind my tie and on stage and so on from C-suite executives to successful entrepreneurs, business owners, Fortune 500, they're the clientele that I work with. And within all of these successes, there's still always that questioning of, am I doing enough and am I enough? Now, granted, I could break that down like crazy, be like, look at man, I'm like, I'm 32 and I've succeeded already immensely. I have so many things, this, that, and the other. I have a great business. I employ people. Like there's so many things you could look at, but as a high achiever, you're still pushing for more. So you have to be able to look at it being like, hey, is this a limiting belief that is empowering me right now or disempowering me? That's the way you have to look at it. So a lot of times these limiting beliefs or your 10 universal saboteurs or whatever are going to be present throughout your whole life. And that's okay. The word becomes dangerous is when you're not aware of it. And then they attack you without you knowing. But if you're aware of it and it's coming, you're like, oh shit, what's up? I see you. Okay, cool. You're allowed to be a part of the party, but you're not allowed to control anything. You're all the way in the back end. So that's the way I kind of approach it. So when it comes up, I look at it. I have systems, processes, I've met the dollars that I put in my life to get them out, but I just notice it. So that's the number one thing that I do. And those are the two main ones that really come up to me. Be like, hey, am I doing enough? And am I enough? And if I ask that anybody that knows me in a high level, they're like, Chris, you're doing more than enough. High level people tell me, Chris, you're doing like so much more. But when you're in it, you're in it. You don't see it, right? You're like a horse that has those little things on the side and like you don't see left or right. So you're just seeing straight. But it's good to have that different perspective. That's why I'm such a fan of, of coaching. I'm not even selling my practice here. I'm just talking about to you to get coached. Like I have eight coaches and, and uh, mentors. And when they tell me certain things as a different perspective, it's such a game changer. Because the analogy that I could give, Peter, I'm the main actor of my life. You're the main actor of yours. The listener is the main actor of theirs. They have uh, side characters, but it's super difficult to play the main actor on stage and as well be the director in the stands and look at the whole play. That's why when you have a coach that's able to see the whole thing and tell you, hey, maybe you should do this like that. And you're like, oh my God, why didn't I think of that? It's because you're acting it out. So those are the ways that I've put in my life that people see and can direct me. And I put things that I notice so I can be better and I can show up as the best speaker and coach for my, for my colleagues, for my clients, for my employees. I love it. And let's take this, let's break this down on a high level because the doing the doing enough part, I think that's 
high performers feel that all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I recognize that in myself and mm -hmm. compared to a lot of, you know, my friends are like, you're crazy. You do so much, you know? And I'm like, am I doing enough? Uh, but then I realized when I take a little bit of time off, like going on vacation or like just take a day off or have a drink with my friends, not promoting alcohol here, but uh, whatever, whatever that is, you know, I feel like I'm going out of my, uh, you know, focus mind and some of my best ideas come up. And yes. I'm more loose. I have a better performance, you know? So let's, let's talk about that because it's contradictory. My mind say, keep it's running, not. but the reality says relax because you're going to be better yes. for it. So here's the thing. There's that perception that it's counterintuitive. Unfortunately, in the last several years, there's this narrative in the entrepreneur world of like the hustle, grind, so on and so forth. And listen, if you want to succeed in life, you have to work extremely hard. Like I wake up at 4 a.m. every single day. I work my face off. I work out super hard. Like everything I do is too intense. But there are moments that you need to 100% take breaks. And why that is. I'm such a fan of like biochemistry and brain science. A big part of my coaching and my speaking uh, repertoire is in that. And there's a reason why you you said that, that like, hey, when I'm taking a time off and you're going out with your friends, playing sports, drinking a little beer or whatever the case is, there's ideas that come about. It's because your subconscious mind works best when your conscious mind is not working. So if you're working on a task and your conscious mind is going towards it and you're like, how do I solve this? How do I solve that? You need room to take a step back so your subconscious mind can activate and work and find a solution. So there is a 100% importance to do that. In fact, there was a study done uh, Sorry, I do not remember what it's from. I think it's Stanford University, but do not quote me on this. But there was a study done that shows in average for you to be the most highly efficient at your work, the highly creative and productive, you should be working 55 hours a week. Any additional time that you do more than that, it's going to be less productive, less efficient, and less creative. So there's moments that you need to take that. So what I do is I go hard for my 55, and then I go hard for when I'm on, on break. When I'm having this conversation right now, Peter, you're all that matters to me right now. I'm just intense in this moment. Then I have other things. Then I have other things, but I don't think about that. When I'm working out, all I think about is me against the bar, what I have to do, what's the movement. When I'm with my parents, all I'm thinking about is how can I be the best son possible? As you're able to be more intentional about every single activity and give breaks for certain other ones, your brain is going to have a better balance and you're going to perform at higher levels when you need to perform. So that's what I would speak to. And this is something that I speak and I coach and I teach my executive C-suite clients that really want to go to the next level. And speaking about coaches, I'm curious, you say you have eight coaches and for people that, have, that, that wants to grow, what type of coaches are those that you recommend people have in their life if they want to take you to the next level? Okay, so I would suggest there, there should be minimum or one or two that is kind of like, okay, the best way to explain this is let's do an analogy for football, right? American football. You need your coach, the first one to be your head coach, like your Bill Belichick. That's your guy. That's the head coach. That head coach has an understanding of certain aspects of everything, understands the offense understands defense, understands special teams, understands uh, O-line, D-line, understands everything. But then you need specialists. Hey, let's go get a quarterback coach. Let's go get an O-line coach. Let's get a defensive coach and all that. That's the way I approach it. Now, let me bring it into a more practical way of how I break it apart. So I have my head coach, which is Trevor. 
he is always my the the person that I, I communicate with, see where it's at. And then if I want to get more expertise, then I go get those expertise. So I have a storytelling coach for my speaking. I have a, a business mastery coach that's more on a structure of how to systemize my business, how to bring it to the next level. I have a uh, a dietitian that checks out what I should be eating. What are their macros? What is this? What is that? I have my workout coach that works out. Hey, what do we what do we need to do? Do we need to drop our weights to push a bit more? Do we need to uh, gain some weight? What's the competitions that are coming up? I have like, it, it goes down. I have my spiritual coach. Okay, cool. That helps me out. Like, Hey, are you connected? How do you connect? How do you use mother earth and the universe to, to, to take that energy through your body? So it's really depending upon what your goals and ambitions are. Then you get your coaches accordingly. For me, all my coaches are business oriented, personal development oriented, speaking uh, uh, developments and so on. That's what I'm looking for. So the best way that I would explain to somebody to look for their coach Start looking at where are you at and what are you looking for within your life in this current moment? And then the proper person will show up. So if you're looking for high performance, look for a high performance coach. If you're looking for, hey, you got to figure out my finance, figure out to find a finance coach. That's the way I would approach it. And let me ask you this. Have the investments you've made in coaching been a good investment for you? Have you ever been coached, uh, Peter? Yes, many times. Perfect. What do you what do you speak to that? I I believe in if you ha, if you work with the right people, mm -hmm. you're gonna put your own life on an amazing trajectory. Uh, and the reason why I'm asking you is because I know a lot of people that are listening here. I mean, this show is for free. You're here for free. You're getting coaching for free. Uh, but every time I put the skin some skin in the game uh, with the right people. It's helped me so much, yes. uh, but I know, unfortunately, I mean, I used to be a personal trainer and people used to tell me like, pay hundred dollars to go work out with you for an hour. And then they went to the bar and, ha and had drinks for 200 that weekend, but they, they, and they saw the value in that, but they didn't see the value in me helping them. Uh, so that's why I want to tap into this a little bit more because I know that people, if you believe in it and if you do the work, it, it does work. I love that. Here's one thing I'm going to tell you. And as you know, I'm a storyteller. When I started my brokerage career as a real estate broker, a broker that was there for a couple of years kind of said, Hey, Chris, there's this event that's putting, that's uh, getting put together by the top real estate broker in the greater region of Montreal. Come. It's going to be amazing, especially that you're a new broker. I'm like, all right, cool. I was a young kid. I'm like, all right, cool. It's going to be nice. I'm like, let's go there. I get there, Peter. And I truly thought that it's going to be all rookie uh, brokers like me, brother, I go there. And the first two rows were all the superstars, the brokers that were making millions and millions of dollars. They were sitting in the front row. That's the first time that I realized, Hey, wait a minute. What's, what's happening here? What's happening here? If all the superstars are sitting and investing in themselves in developing their thought pattern, don't you think it would be important for you? Look at anybody that succeeds at extremely high levels, anybody, athletes, professionals, CEOs, uh, uh, lawyers, uh, politicians, they all have coaches. If you want to stay to the low, like not low property, but if you want to stay the way you are, perfect, continue doing what you're doing. But if you want to go to the next level, look at people that you admire and see what they're doing. So if you look at anybody that's succeeding, they all have coaches. So that's what I speak to it. In my end, it has paid back 
tenfold, if not more than that. I'm in a career that I didn't even know that was possible. That I didn't even think that I was going to do because of my coaching. And when I started coaching, for me, it happened actually quite quick on that aspect. The second I started, which this was in 2017, my income tripled. I grew my business. I started meditating. I started reading books. You know, we're talking about dyslexia. Now I read a book a week. I read 52 books a year. All this is because I started opening myself to this world. So that's the way I would speak to that. I love it. And speaking of books and reading, hats off for you to be able to uh, overcome uh, the obstacles you've had. Uh, what are some of the top books that, that you would recommend that have kind of have a profound impact on your life? Peter, I love that question. And at the same time, I hate that question. And here's why. <laughs> it's a question that you often get, right? Which there is value to it. But the reason why I hate it is because it perceives that there's one or two books that people should read and they'll get the whole answer. I don't think the answer is in one or two books. I think I will invite your listeners and everybody in this world to become a reader. That's where you're going to get so much more value. The compound effect of different thought patterns from different authors, from different leaders, from different politicians, that's how you're going to be such a successful person in so many ways. Now, that being said, I'm still a book. Geek, I love so that answer. Gonna... And they say readers are leaders, right? hundred so percent. Hundred percent. That's what the reality is. Now, that being said, Peter, I'm still going to list off some of my top favorite books. So I would have to mention some top authors that I really love right now that are the alive authors. Uh, uh, Robert Greene, definitely love all of his work. Malcolm Gladwell, love all of his work. Uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, phenomenal, love his works as well. Talks about the placebo effect, about uh, how the brain works, and so on and so forth. Some top books that I truly recommend. Maybe some ones that maybe you haven't heard of. So I won't do like the obvious ones, like Think and Grow Rich, or Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and so on, which I'm sure your listeners have heard before. I'm going to start off by saying uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I'm a huge fan of philosophy, Stoicism. Uh, Marcus Aurelius was a one, the last great Roman emperor. So his thought pattern, amazing. Another book is uh, As a Man Thinketh. Uh, that's a great one. Uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. That's another one that's just mind-blowing. The man went through the uh, uh, the Holocaust, Second World War, Auschwitz, and all that stuff, how his thought patterns uh, go towards. So these are some of the top books that I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend and that have changed my life in so many ways. And I could do a list even more. If you guys want more information, I would just suggest them to go on my YouTube channel at Christopher Dedian on YouTube. And uh, I have book reviews there, I have videos there, and I talk about my top books and uh, all the things that we're talking about, I go more into detail with that. So that's what I would suggest. Thanks. And I saw that and that was great. And I, I love, you know, it's, it's so interesting, you know, when I hear these, these books and there's, I'm around people that are, you know, reaching for the next level all the time. And mm -hmm. it's, it's so interesting that the same books comes to mind because you're in that field of energy and it, on the other hand, there's other fields of energy where people are in a negative pattern and they're mm -hmm. around negativity and small thinking. So if, if there's anybody listening to this show now, they're like, hi, this sounds really exciting. But in my, like for us, it's Sunday night football and beers, you know, but I, mm -hmm. I want to get out of that. I want to, I want something more in my life. Or there's a lot of people I know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I know in our cultures where we originally come from, you know, you're supposed to be a doctor, a lawyer or an engineer, yes. you know, and have a nice car and get married, you know, those are, yes. so but how, how can you just share a little bit? Like, how did you like tell your parents, for example, like, Hey, 
I'm going to do this now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So a couple of things there real quick. First and foremost, you spoke about energy. You spoke about that. You're spending time with people that are thinking like this, that these books we're talking about, these are cultivating things. They're higher vibrational conversations towards being like, Hey, maybe there was a certain point in your life that you were in a more lower energy, which, which is okay. There's a thought, there's a reason for everything. And there's a journey for everything. Now, if you're in a lower energy, you're doing things that are not cultivating your growth mindset, your personal development to where you want to go. The way it starts off is with you. The more you develop yourself, you're going to raise your energy to such higher levels. Your frequency is going to go up, and then you're going to be attracting same types of people. And the lower types of energies, it's just naturally going to filter out. So that's the way to go about it. It's not by getting rid of anybody. It's by increasing your energy, by working on yourself with personal development. Then you start meeting people that are like-minded as you. You start seeing there's meetups like this, there's books, there's this and that. So that's one thing I would speak to that. And when it comes to the family aspect, definitely I could, I could do a whole podcast of how that relationship <laughs> went from my parents of like, Hey, I'm going from one career to another. Not only that succeeding to one career and then letting go of that, going into something that nobody necessarily knows. Like, can you even make money as a speaker, as a coach? It's not something that kind of is, is, is normally understood from immigrant parents and granted, it makes sense. This is a very new industry in itself. The way I went about it is I always, always, always in every decision I take and every hire that I take and every investment that I take is I listen to my gut and I'm very in tune with that and I've developed that. So once I feel that something's right, I, I go towards it hundred million miles an hour. Even if somebody's telling me, no, whatever the case is, I still go towards it. Now in the relations that I've cultivated with my parents, they have noticed that every single time I do something, I put my head down and I work and I succeed at it, that they just support me and they trust me. But in the beginning, when you're young, the parents, they're doing this out of being like the knowledge that they have. They're trying to help you. So they're trying to guide you the best way they can. So the best way I would speak to that, if you are in a situation that you feel a bit repressed with your ideologies, with your way of thinking by your family members, by society, by your parents, trust yourself, go forward with it. Because the honest truth is, Peter, the goal, the ambition, the dream, the idea that you have was given to you. It wasn't given to your parents. It wasn't given to your neighbor. It wasn't given to anybody else to create and bring into this, in this world. So it is normal that nobody else understands about you. So take it, develop it. Once it's polished and beautiful, everybody's going to understand it. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, look at that. That makes sense. Yeah, once the work is done. But any idea on the beginning is not clear. It's not pretty. It's, it's dirty. It's, it doesn't make sense. But as you polish it, it makes sense. But trust that there's a reason why you have that idea or that thought pattern in itself. I love it. Um, Christopher, we're running out of time. This, I've had a, such a great time with you here, and I think we can talk for hours. Uh, we might, might have, to, have to bring you back at some point. Uh, just wanted to kind of see where are you going in your life? What's important to you to be a happy man? Okay, that's a, that's a huge question. You mentioned your goal of helping 10 million people in 10 years. I have a very similar goal. And my goal is actually to help a billion people before I die. That's a B, billion. Now, can I, I quantify really my helping a billion people? Probably not. But if I say one message here that somebody listens and it resonates and he says it to somebody else and that somebody else says it to somebody else and somebody else, all those people have touched it. I don't necessarily need to know, but I need to position myself to be able to potentially help a billion lives. 
And the way I could do that is going on amazing shows with you, Peter, having these great conversations, building my platforms, putting my YouTube videos out there, doing coaching, doing my executive stuff, going into speaking to Fortune 500 companies. That's the way I could do it. So that's the number one thing. And then second thing over here, how I continue pushing myself is understanding that true success for me is through growth, is through giving back. So if I'm consistently growing every single day and I'm giving back to my community, giving back with my philanthropy work, giving back to my loved ones, to my uh, churches, to my cause of learning disability, then I'll be like 100% fulfilled because I have succeeded in my life financially, but I wasn't working on growth or giving back and I wasn't happy. There's a lot of people that are extremely wealthy that are unhappy. I don't want that. So those are two things that I've like spot on put in my life. I have to always learn something new. I have to always grow and I always have to give back. If I'm doing those two things, I'm truly happy. And then the abundance of finance comes your way because you're bringing massive value to your community and the audience. So that's what I would speak to that. I love that, Chris. And I mean, the one thing that I just want to say that having that massive goal, when you talk to game changers of this world, they have these massive, incredible goals. And if you listen to this, like, and you're like, hey, I want to do that, but I, I'm just scared to feel the words in my mouth. Just believe me, I, I have a hard time telling people what I want to do, but I'm getting better at it. And you get more confident while you're doing it. So it's okay. But if it's such a small goal, as soon as you bump into a challenge, you're going to give up. So look at all the game change. That's why I love that. It has to be big. And then serve, 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 mm-hmm. serve, mm-hmm. because helping others gives you happiness. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. I love that. Uh, the final question that I have is after this show, people that are here now, what should I do to get a little bit closer to their goal? What would be the first step? Clarity. Clarity. Clarify what is your goal, why you're doing it, and then break it down like we, we said in the uh, beginning of this uh, conversation. What is the thing you have to do every single day? Break down your goal to manageable steps, small bites. That's the way to go move forward with your goals. I like that. And I just want to share also, if you don't know exactly what you want, start with something. Instead of like being in this limbo land that most of most people unfortunately are, and then they, I don't hard, hate to be harsh, but and then you die. Kind of start with something, you know. I've I've done a lot of things, just like you. You became a you were a fireman, mm-hmm. <laughs> and but you did something. You you didn't just sit at home. Uh, you did something, and it led you. F- at least you knew that you didn't want to do that. Uh, can you agree with that? Like just start with some type of goal, even if you're a little bit lost. So hundred percent, I agree with it. And here's what happens: often people believe that you have to be inspired, which is going to give you the motivation, which is going to give you the action. They think it's linear, but in fact, it's actually circular. So you could start with a small action that's going to get you inspired. That's going to get you motivated. Then you're going to do a bigger one. And then it's going to get you more inspired and more motivated. So if you don't know what you're doing, start with anything as simple as waking up and making your bed as simple as I brushed my teeth today, as simple as, you know what, I'm a bit depressed today. I don't know what's happening. Just dump in the shower. That's a win. Those are actions that will compound over time and will do bigger and bigger things. So I 100% agree with what you said, Peter. Yes. Perfect. And last thing, people want to connect with you, work with you, learn more about you. Where can I find you? So, well, thank you for that, Peter. Uh, essentially, the best way to find me is on all social medias at Christopher Dedean. My family name is D-E-D-E-Y-E-N. 
Uh, I go really hard on my uh, YouTube, like I mentioned, go ahead and uh, check that out. Hopefully you guys subscribe and like, there's a lot of content on peak performance, entrepreneurship and personal growth. And if you want to really come into becoming a peak performing individual, if you are that C-suite executive entrepreneur, business owner that really wants to go to that next level, then one of my coaching programs or speaking program is for you. And the best way to go about that is go check out my website. You could book a call with me and my team and we'll see how we can support you to go to the next level. And my website is deadianenterprises.com, deadianenterprises.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody that are here listening, watching. As I told you, I really, really appreciate you. I love you. If you're on your way to big things, that's awesome. If you're not there yet, we are here to support you. Share this podcast with somebody that needs to hear this message. Check me out on iTunes, YouTube, everywhere. You just Google my name. It's hard to spell, but Google will help you. So that's it. We don't have more time for today. We got to go. We got shit to do. And I hope you too. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you next week.